It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 372 for December 15th, 2013. This week, some of the largest internet companies say government surveillance has gone too far. If you're still using Windows XP, you should update before April. Microsoft wants to help you find a better password. And in short circuits, a new version of Firefox has lots of helpful security features, and Adobe has released updates of just about everything photographic. When it comes to surveillance, some of the big guys are saying, enough. And in some ways, it's kind of amusing that Google is one of several big players in internet commerce to tell the federal government that their surveillance policies need to be modified. This is the same Google that has more information about people than the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, China's Ministry of State Security, the Mossad, Russia's FSB, MI5 and the NCA in the United Kingdom, and even the fictional Smirsh. But I digress. AOL, Yahoo, Microsoft, Google, Apple, and LinkedIn are calling for reforms that they say will restore the public's trust in the Internet. The companies raise valid points in their open letter to the government in saying that the balance in many countries has tipped too far in favor of the state and away from rights of the individual. The letter suggests, or depending on your interpretation, demands major changes in U.S. surveillance laws. It also calls for an international ban on collection of data on a massive basis. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg said that reports about government surveillance show there's a real need for greater disclosure and new limits on how governments collect information. Zuckerberg says the U.S. government should lead this reform effort to make things right. This is blowback that should have been anticipated by the various security agencies in light of revelations that the NSA intercepted data by tapping into fiber optic cables. This week's open letter was addressed to President Barack Obama and Congress. The companies say that surveillance undermines the freedoms we all cherish. Possibly stating the obvious, Microsoft's general counsel Brad Smith says that people simply won't use technology they don't trust. Now, given Microsoft's history with security, there's a certain amount of irony there, too. Governments have put this trust at risk, Smith said, and governments need to help restore it. Citing his company's use of encryption and reports to users about government requests for data, Google CEO Larry Page said that privacy measures taken by Google are undermined by the apparent wholesale collection of data in secret and without independent oversight by many governments around the world. The open letter says that the Internet giants understand that governments do have a duty to protect their citizens, and it went on to recommend five reform principles that would address specific concerns. The five are limiting government's authority to collect users' information, oversight and accountability, transparency about government demands, respecting the free flow of information, and avoiding conflicts among governments. If you'd like to read them in detail, the five reform principles are enumerated on a website called reformgovernmentsurveillance.com. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. But that's not all. 
Several Nobel Prize-winning writers have joined hundreds of other writers who have signed an open letter to all governments and corporations worldwide, appealing for them to respect citizens' privacy rights. The message says that surveillance violates the private sphere and compromises freedom of thought and opinion, and the writers say that surveillance is being systematically abused. The writers are urging the United Nations to create an international bill of digital rights, and they call on citizens of all nations to express their outrage over mass surveillance by adding their names to a public version of the appeal. And that petition is located on the change.org website. using XP? If so, keep this in mind, April is the cruelest month. T.S. Eliot wrote that in The Wasteland in 1922. He didn't mention Windows XP, of course, because he knew nothing about Windows XP, or any version of Windows, or computers. Maybe you liked Windows XP, and maybe you thought it was better than Vista. You were right. Maybe you thought it was better than Windows 7. You were wrong. And maybe you still think it's better than Windows 8. You're definitely wrong. In April, Microsoft will stop supporting Windows XP. By then, it'll be a 14-year-old operating system. So, in as few words as possible, get over it. It's time to move on. It's time to obtain a modern operating system. So, what does that mean? Well, it means that even if you have the latest service pack for XP, that's Windows XP Service Pack 3, you will no longer receive any new security updates. You will not receive any non-security hotfixes. You will not receive free or paid assisted support. In other words, you're on your own. Any new vulnerabilities discovered in Windows XP will not be addressed by any security updates from Microsoft. If you're a Windows XP user and that doesn't concern you, then you don't understand the problem. The problem is that Microsoft routinely releases security updates. They do this every month. And when they do, criminals act quickly to reverse engineer the update. Then they develop code that will allow them to exploit the flaw on any system that hasn't been updated. After April 8th, that will be any system running Windows XP. Yes, Windows XP does have security features, but these were developed five to ten years ago. Crooks have become a lot smarter in the intervening years, and the Microsoft Security Intelligence Report clearly shows that XP is no match for today's crooks. Even now, XP is significantly more vulnerable than Windows 7 or Windows 8, and the crooks would like you to just keep on using it. If you're an individual who's continuing to use Windows XP, your files are at risk today, and it'll be worse in April. If you are the chief technology officer of a corporation, and your users are still using XP, your job could be at risk. So the question is, is waiting really a viable alternative? If you must put off an upgrade because the CEO needs yet another vacation home, you at least should investigate what protective measures you can put in place on your network. And you need to realize that it's not just the operating system that's a threat. 
Although XP was available as a 64-bit operating system, fewer than 1 in 100 systems are 64-bit. That means that your users are running outdated, outmoded 32-bit applications. So most of the applications your users are running will also no longer be updated because few vendors consider it to be worthwhile to continue updating 32-bit software. So if you are one of those IT directors, maybe it's time to convince the CEO that operational computers are important. I certainly think it is. Maybe you've heard that passwords are dead, and that's true, they are. They don't know it yet, most users don't know it yet, and right now there really are few viable alternatives to passwords. So passwords are what we have. They are inherently insecure though. They can be compromised in lots of ways, and most people, even some information technology professionals, don't know how to create a good password. Microsoft would like to help you with a service they call telepathwords. Some password mistakes are common, and they result in passwords that are easy to guess and therefore aren't secure. Telepathwords is based on the techniques that thieves commonly use to guess passwords. Now, guess is probably a bad term here because it makes the process seem a lot less structured than it actually is. Guess describes the kind of process you'd see in a Hollywood movie that shows the bad guy or the good gal guessing a complex password in 12 seconds on the third try. It doesn't work that way in real life. Telepathwords is a system developed by Microsoft researchers to help users create better passwords. You can try Telepathwords yourself. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The service is located on Microsoft's website. Simply type in a password or something that you're thinking about using as a password, or anything if you just want to try it out. The guessing system actually uses a highly sophisticated process that's based on the technology used by the autocomplete function in word processors and some text processors. Start typing a password and telepathwords will show you the most common three letters it would expect for the next character. Try one of your existing passwords and you may find the results to be more than a little disconcerting. You'll quickly learn, for example, that an at sign is not a good replacement for the letter A because the system will guess that just about every time. Or try replacing a capital L with a 7. Telepathwords will pop up a reminder that says password crackers know about all these common substitutions as well as a lot that aren't very common. So what's the world's worst password? Well, that would be the word itself, password uppercase, lowercase, or some jumble like P at sign 55W0 R capital D 123. Yeah, even with the 123 at the end, it's still a lousy password. But a lot of people would consider that last one to be highly secure, and many websites that display a value for password strength would consider it to be very strong. Oh, by the way, another really bad password is the common let me in. A lot of websites require users to create passwords with at least one lowercase letter, one uppercase letter, a number, and a symbol. So clearly that P at sign 55 business that I talked about earlier would satisfy all those rules. 
and it's relatively long, so it appears to be strong. I tried a couple of passwords that I actually use. The first one is relatively short, but it's secure. Telepathwords was able to guess only two of the characters, so the remaining eight were hard to guess. But then I tried one that's 15 characters long, seemingly a lot more secure, but Telepathwords was able to identify nine of the characters. Not so good. As you learn what makes a bad password, you'll begin to develop better passwords. But earlier, I mentioned that passwords are dead, and you might be wondering why. Well, it's because of break-ins at commercial and social media sites that are so increasingly common. And a single event like that can put tens of thousands of passwords in the hands of crooks. In most cases, the passwords are going to be hashed, but hashing simply slows the process for crooks. It doesn't stop them. For now, though, users need to concentrate on creating good passwords using a password only once on important sites, and changing the passwords on important sites frequently. By important sites, I mean sites that contain financial information or other high-value data. Login credentials for newspapers or sites such as those have a lower importance because no critical data would be exposed if the account were compromised. In short circuits, Firefox 26 is now generally available. Those on the beta channel have been using it for a while now, and all users should allow this update to be installed soon. A major security update called Click to Play is now turned on by default. Click to Play makes a browser safer because it won't allow Java plugins to run without intervention from the user. Java is a common target for malware developers. The new version also introduces an improved update process for Windows and some major changes for Android. Click to Play was supposed to be released for all platforms and was intended to apply to all plug-in types except for the most current version of Flash. Late in the beta process, Mozilla delayed the change for all platforms except Windows and plug-in technologies except Java. The other changes will be made in later versions, possibly version 27. That's scheduled for release in February 2014. Click to Play blocks all Java plugins until the user clicks to use them. Previous versions of Firefox simply loaded Java whenever a site requested it, and that is a significant security threat. Mozilla could block plugins, and actually does so for old versions of Java, Silverlight, and Flash. But those blocks had to be established by Mozilla and pushed out to browsers. This new version of Firefox gives the user complete control over when Java is loaded. Users who don't like being bothered and who implicitly trust a specific site can configure Click to Play so that it will run any plugin that it finds on that specific site. Windows users will find updates to be a little bit easier because the updater will now be able to install new versions on systems where the user doesn't have write permissions on the Firefox directory. To find out what version of Firefox you're running, check out the help menu and select About Firefox.
Android users will find a new startup screen. A new page that Mozilla refers to as Home will provide access to commonly visited sites, information about recently browsed sites, bookmarks, search, and more. Home is a swipeable panel, which means that it acts pretty much the way any tablet user would expect it to. When the user swipes the first panel to the left, bookmarks appear. Subsequent swipes reveal the reading list panel and the history panel. If you haven't set Firefox to update automatically, now would be a pretty good time to visit Mozilla.org. While you're getting updates, you might want to check out Adobe. Adobe's been really busy. They've got updates for many Creative Cloud, Creative Suite 6, Lightroom, Camera Raw, and Elements applications. So in general, whatever Adobe application you use, there's probably something new for you on Adobe's website. Lightroom 5.3 is now available as a final release on Adobe.com and also through the update mechanism in Lightroom 5. The goal of this release is to provide additional Camera Raw support profiles for more lenses, and fixes for several bugs that were introduced in previous releases of Lightroom. Camera Raw 8.3 is available as a final release for Photoshop CS6 and Photoshop Creative Cloud. The release provides new features including auto-level functionality and auto-straighten. In addition, this release also includes bug fixes, support for a lot of new cameras and new lenses, and the digital negative converter, DNG 8.3, is provided for customers using versions of Photoshop older than Photoshop CS6. Check out the whole list of editions on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And as far as support for new cameras go, both Camera Raw and Lightroom have added support for two new Canon models, one from Casio, two from Fuji, five from Nikon, one from Nokia, two from Olympus, one each from Panasonic and Pentax, two from Phase One, and three from Sony. The full list is on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.